You've arrived at the Frontline Records Rewind Podcast. Your host, Brian Healy of Dead Artist Syndrome, a little-known goth band, executive producer Adele Meisenheimer, and engineer Scotty Z. You can find us here on a regular basis, so keep coming back. Right now, sit back, relax, and crank it up for Frontline Records Rewind Brian Quincy Newcomb has been a music journalist, a pastor, and a teacher. While attending seminary in the early 80s, he contributed to the Minneapolis-based Progressive Pacer before getting work with CCM Magazine while on a year internship in Chicago, where he interviewed the Resurrection Band. From 1982 to 2005, Quincy contributed to CCM as a columnist and writing album reviews and features including cover stories with Rich Mullins, Petra, Matt Kearney, and others. For 20 years, from 1986 to 2005, Quincy contributed frequently to the pop and rock music coverage of his local news outlets, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and the Riverfront Times, eventually contributing to national publications like Billboard, Pace, Cornerstone, and HM. In the late 80s, he joined with publisher Paul Emery and a small band of wannabe journalists and arts to invent Harvest Rock Syndicate, which Quincy edited and contributed freely for over eight years. Starting out as a quarterly published on newsprint, HRS was a standard bearer for alternative Christian music, celebrating punk, hard rock, metal, as well as folk, hip-hop, and music by Christians in the mainstream. The musical genres that had largely been ignored by CCM and other Christian music mouthpieces. The Altar Boys and Stripers shared the first cover. And bands like The Choir, Undercover, Daniel Amos, and Adam Again all made the covers. Many of these acts went on to win Harvey's, the yearly Best Of Awards voted by the readers. A direct slap at the Doves, which were dominated by more predictability by CCM's big Nashville mainstays. Along with Cornerstone Festival, Harvest Rock Syndicate was one more way for the burgeoning alternative Christian rock industry to find its audience. But many have said it was there at a crucial time to launch a number of these artists to national careers. And if you're curious, Quincy did finish seminary and was ordained into the ministry of the United Church of Christ in November of 1983, where he served churches for nearly 29 years, which means that most of his musical reviewing has occurred while writing sermons and planning services, concert reviews were squeezed in between consistatory meetings and teachings and Bible studies. In 2005, he earned his Doctorate of Ministry degree at Eden Seminary in St. Louis. He is currently serves as senior pastor of David's United Church of Christ of Kettering, Ohio, near Dayton. Today, welcome, via the phone lines, the Reverend Brian Quincy Newcomb to our podcast, Frontline Records Rewind. Brian Quincy Newcomb, welcome to Frontline Records Rewind. Hello, Brian. Here's the deal. Every time uh, I've ever wanted to know anything about music, Brian Quincy Newcomb has always been a resource uh, to go to. Uh, because unlike uh, just a journalist or a reviewer, he's uh, a pastor and basically he won't admit it, but he's a historian. He is the keeper of uh, the, the flame for <laughs> a, a great era of Christian music. And I asked him to uh, make a top ten list for us. And of course, having a uh, Doctor of Divinity degree, it's a top eleven list. So, we're going to go with it. <laughs> so let's start out. Poor old Lou, Chrono. What makes it special? 
Well, you know, they were uh, like a second-generation band for me. You know, I mean, when you think about the top-tier alternative bands that Christian music was kind of growing on and starting on, and, and uh, you know, you think of Daniel Amos in the 77s and all the guys who ended up affiliated around the Lost Dogs, etc. Um, then it was a generational hop down to bands like Prayer Chain and others, and Poor Lou kind of fell into that category for me. They were uh, not dependent upon the previous generation, but they seemed like a fresh sound. They were uh, they were coming out about the same time as the grunge, about the same area, so it was a it was a treat. They were smart, uh, good rock and roll, lots of fun stuff going on in the guitars, and uh, it was pretty engaging. What made you choose uh, All Pretty for TV, just out of curiosity? Well, I thought the lyrics were smart and funny, and that's about all it takes for me. I'm an easy I'm an easy guy when it comes to that stuff. I like, I, I like something that has something to say, and it usually says it in a crafty, creative way. Understand completely. Okay, well, here's poor old Lou off Chrono. All pretty Portuguese.
Pretty for TV by poor old Lou off Chrono. All right, and, and the second song you picked off Chrono was Cruciality. Why? Another song by them that uh, showed a lot of craft in terms of the guitar chops, but I thought it was a very serious song, a socially adept kind of intuitive uh, look at the world we live in, and I I found it very pleasing to the ears and to the and to the uh, synapses. Really? Now, just out of curiosity. When you're editing a magazine like you did, like Harvest Rock Syndicate, how do you decide what the winnowing bar is of this is different and this is just the same old guy doing the same old thing? Well, you know, I mean, it's a judgment call always. But, uh, you know, when, you're, when you've been doing music criticism for 30 years, um, of course, that's now. Uh, back then, it was intuitive. It was a response to the music. Uh, it was visceral, but um, but I had a strong sense of music history, and uh, you know, it was hard. It wasn't hard to figure out who a band's influences were, and it, it was a judgment call whether they were adapting those influences in a creative way that indicated that they were going to be um, in an innovative in and of themselves, or if they were going to uh, flame out. You know, if they were bus- just busy imitating the best song they'd ever heard, you knew they weren't going to be able to make a second record, and you could just feel that in the music that was there. What, what do you think of like what Aaron Sprinkle does now and have you followed his career and has he developed or do you think he stayed the same or? I, I, I kind of think that he's been, been, I think that's one of the reasons I like Poor Lou is that when you hear that band's uh, early music you get a sense that he's going to be something down the road. You can get a sense that he's working stuff out in his head and in his music that is uh, intended to go the distance. And uh, and he's proved that in his career as a as both a producer and as a solo artist. Well, let's just play it. Here's Cruciality. Poor old Lou. Oh, 
Number 10 on Brian Quincy Newcomb's list, and this came as a surprise to me, Rick Altizer, Blue Plate Special. I know your taste in music. How in the world does a power pop, rock, metal guitarist get on your top 11 list? Well, you know, one of the things I liked about the Frontline catalog um, was that they were really trying to make music for kids, you know, and so they had all those great... Um, pop metal bands, all the hair bands. They had Tamplin and Magdalene and Shout and all those guys. And, uh, and I appreciated that at an intellectual level, but I couldn't really enjoy it at a visceral level because it just wasn't what rocked me. Um, but, I, but I got why it was popular and fun. And, and the thing about the Rick Altizer is, is one, it's, 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 he's working with one of my favorite people. Um, Adrian Ballou is with him on the record. Um, it was an act a wonderful guitar player and a fabulous producer. And he worked with talking heads and a few other great people that I just happened to adore. So what Rick Altizer has done is kind of put together, uh, an amazing pop rock sound, very high polished production, smart, funny lyrics. Um, it was just, it just stood out. I, when I first heard it, I intuitively liked it. The thing about my experience of this music though, is that I didn't, um, I wasn't on the West Coast and I wasn't in Nashville. 
So a lot of these artists I didn't hear about. I only saw their record. I, did, I never saw them live or, um, you know, I saw Rick Altizer like three years after he made his first record at a GMA performance. And by then I was done with him. You know, I was, I was already tired. But, um, when that first record hit, it really blew my socks off, uh, for a variety of reasons. But, um, Adrian Blue being principal. Absolutely. Well, what we're going to play is off Blue Plate Special, Make a Monkey. Something 
going to move on now to Jacob's Trouble, number nine. This I want to hear. <laughs> what was it about Jacob's Trouble you liked so much? Well, you know, it's it's funny because they uh, they came out of the uh, southern the southern Georgia thing, so they had all the all the influences that I really appreciate about REM and the whole southern rock thing. But um, you know, let's face it, their first record they sounded just like the Monkees to me, and they were produced by Terry Taylor, who I knew was a huge Beatles fan, and uh, they did that whole thing, that whole prefab pop rock thing together with the Southern alternative REM thing. And the first couple of records were pleasant, but then they really just, they really turned a corner and it got very interesting, very fast. Um, I, I really liked uh, their middle records, especially they achieved something that I didn't think was possible uh, because they, they, they stopped sounding like a band that was trying to sound like somebody else. And they became, they developed a sound that really felt organic to me. Okay. You picked the song Wild Wild Ride. Yeah. Well, those, the, that, that record was the record that they were most unlike Jacob's Trouble. I mean, that's the one that's self-titled, but the first two records, they sound really like a Terry Taylor band. And with, with, uh, this record, I think they suddenly decided, you know, we can really imitate you too. We don't have to just imitate the Beatles and the Monkees. And so there was a nice, uh, guitar riff thing going on here that was pretty much dormant in the earlier stuff. It was always there, but, but here they turned it up. They, they let it climb on top of the riff. Uh, they let the riff lead the song and it was, it was, it was a great little rock and roll moment. Well, here we go. We're going to play Jacob's Trouble. Wild, wild ride.
That was Jacob's Trouble, Wild Wild Ride. Okay, you picked another song off the Jacob's Trouble list, and that was Desiree. Yeah, yeah, that's just got a great hook. It's a, it's a love song kind of focused. A guy got knocked over head over heels by a girl. It just happens to sound like desire. It's it's a it's a pure U two ripoff. I I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're gonna steal. Yeah, if you're gonna, yeah. I mean, if you're gonna borrow, borrow from great people. I mean, I mean the whole beauty the whole beauty of uh, imitation being truly a form of flattery is is lost on some people, but not on me. Understand completely.
Frontline Records Rewind is grateful for our sponsor, Mize Music Group. Fans can now purchase full album downloads of some of your favorites for Frontline $5.99. Go to FrontlineRecords.us and load up your iPod, iPhone, and Android and any other electronic device or music holder. And hurry before Mize Music Groups realize what they've done. Now we're up to number eight. The Altar Boys. You picked two albums, Gut Level Music and Against the Grain. Yeah, my uh, my frontline version of that is the two albums together. I don't know if you, I don't know how they're released now, but the one I had in my collection was both albums on the same disc. Well, you know, um, Mike Stan and those guys, uh, you know, were clearly you know straight ahead, the full on punk pop rock thing. I mean, they were. Uh, they were purists, they were simple, they were direct, there was a lot of energy, they were visceral and fun from the stage. But the records, I think, worked best when the songs were just kind of earthy and simple, and uh, if they got the right production, and often they did, uh, the guitars sounded really bold and crisp, and uh, it was never the clash, it was always cleaner than that, but it had a nice, earthy, punk rock feel that I felt was, uh, was real organic and fun. We understand. Okay, so the first song you picked, oddly enough, though, was Humans. Human Sound. Uh, yeah, I like that record. Uh, it's it's a it's an unusual song for them because it's a little more subtle. Uh, but then again, that's indicative of what I like anyway. Um, I thought it showed depth for them, um, and that would have been that would have been my favorite of the bunch. Okay, well, here's the Ultra Boys, Human Sound.
But they all want the last word Cause they can't say what they mean Okay, that was Human Sound by the Ultra Boys. We're going to move on with some more Ultra Boys tunes. This one's an easy plug, Against the Grain. Yeah, that, you know, that kind of stuff just, it was, it was uh, just, it was a moment in time. You know, you just, um, bold guitars, uh, fast chops, band was tight and smart. Um, but it was a simple punk rock thing. And, and, and I have visuals of uh, Mike Stan doing that uh, jumping jack thing he did with his legs when he played guitar. I mean, just, it was pure 80s fun and uh, and against the grain really did tap into that entirely you know because at the time that we were writing about the ultra boys and harvest rock syndicate you know christian punk christian rock was being ignored pretty much by the christian music industry entirely so against the grain it had a multi-layered kind of uh, image for me it was not just against the grain of the you know trying to be a christian person living in a worldly existence but then also you know making music that you knew was never going to get on Christian radio because there there was no way to squeeze the altar boys in between Amy Grant and Kim Boyce. And that's that's a good enough reason for me to choose them any day. Okay, well, here's the altar boys against the grain.
All right, that was the Altar Boys against the grain. Central South Distribution is a proud sponsor of Frontline Records Rewind. Their division, Infinity Music Distribution, just released Gravity by number one selling hip hop artist Lecrae. It's available in stores iTunes, and Amazon. We're moving on to a band that I was not surprised was on your list, Mortal. Lucis, right? That was the first release by Mortal? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was the first album they put out, and it was a shock to, uh, to me and to the industry, I think. I think nobody was ready for an industrial Christian rock band. Now, at the, as the editor of the Harvest Rock Syndicate, you tear, you tear open hundreds of CDs. You tear this thing open, you look at the cover... You put it on, and what's your first thought? My first thought is, uh, you know, that somebody finally had the balls to make an industrial Christian pop record in the vein of Nine Inch Nails. It was uh, almost immediately a positive experience for me. It was like I had not heard a Christian release that sounded this good in this way. All right, and you pick the song, In Flesh, The Word is Alive. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, again, that's a, another attempt by one of these bands to do deeper stuff. I uh, I found it engaging. I, You know, it never gets much deeper than the original riff. I mean, the lyrics don't go very far. It's repetitive and all that. But, uh, yeah, it's um, the incarnation and, and put in the juxtaposition of what we normally think of incarnational language uh, with this music that you think of as almost machine-like, industrial and and repetitive and, uh, you know, digitracks and digitapes, uh, repeats and all that. It was, it was a very fun record. I, I, I was very fond of these guys. See, I love that record, but I'll be honest, the first time I heard it, that's when I realized I'm getting old. Well, there you go. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's go. like, okay, this is, uh, yeah, I'm getting old here. Uh, this well, is something. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I've never been a, like a, I mean, I, because of the job I did listening to so many genres of music, I tried to keep as open a mind as you physically are able to, you know, so I tried to understand everything I heard, whether I liked it or not was not always, um, it was not always my personal preference. So, um, but I could still appreciate something that I didn't necessarily respond to if I understood it and I understood who it was for and I knew it was creative beyond the, the genre's limitations or an imitation of some other previous artist. I mean, the nice thing about Mortal is while it immediately drew to mind industrial bands that I was aware of, uh, Nitzareb and Nine Inch Nails, etc., it didn't sound like any of those bands. It, it, it sounded like another of those bands. And I thought that was credible um, and pleasing and pleasing. All right. Well, let's get, let's get to the cut then. In flesh, the word is alive. Mortal.
That was mortal. In flesh, the word is alive. Now, you picked another song, and this is a different song compared to the other one. If ever, Maria. Right. Right. And it's a thoughtful love song again, pleasant. Uh, it's a very different feel. I'm sensing this love theme from you. Well, I, I, I'm drawn to songs that deal with honest human emotions. And one of my problems with a lot of Christian music is that they tend to be uh, songs written for human love experiences, and they just change the lyrics so it's about God. And to my mind, that's a feeble, uh, inept attempt to capture the divine experience. So I'm much happier with a, an honest love song about human connection that has the divine kind of running through it rather than some attempt to add it on, some attempt to, you know, force a religious uh, meaning into something that is probably pure and honest and good in and of itself. Okay, before we get to this record, I want to go to something controversial. That could happen. Spirituality in America is up. Church attendance is dropping like a rock. You bet. How much of that is politics? Well, if you take that uh, book, Unbelief, uh, seriously, um, it was a Barna study book about um, uh, just interviewing people on the street about their raw feelings about church, religion, Christianity. Uh, if you take that survey seriously, it says that the reason most people are not interested in a church or religious experience is because religion has become uh, too judgmental, too negative, too political. Uh, the words that came to mind when people were asked their first thoughts about the church or Christianity was that it was hypocritical, uh, anti-gay, which is another way of saying unloving and un ungracious and not unwelcoming. Um, and so, yeah, uh, it's, it's a very rough sell to tell people that they're invited to come be a part of a Christian community if what they think of as Christianity is something that's a, a religious right political agenda or some small-minded view that God is going to thump you with a brick every chance God gets. I mean, that's, that's kind of the language that's out there. That's kind of the popular, um, the popular message of big TV preachers and uh, public witnesses. So, yeah, I think that's a... Instead of curiosity, do you think the rise of too many non-denomination churches might have caused this? You know, I'm, it's a good question. I, I haven't thought about it from that perspective. I, I think what I, what I don't enjoy about the non-denominational quote-unquote idea is that uh, they act as if they were created from whole cloth that the, and that they have no tradition. And to my mind, one of the great values of uh, any world religion of, of any depth, and in Christianity specifically, from the Protestant perspective, is you have these centuries of tradition. Uh, centuries of uh, faithful reflection, theological development, and evolution. And and when you say you're non-denominational, you're basically saying the Spirit spoke to us yesterday, and here we are today, and nothing's happened before that matters. And I find that mildly disingenuous and quite difficult to wrap my head around. All right, let's get to mortal, if ever, Maria.
Okay, that was mortal, if ever Maria. And that concludes part one of our interview with Brian Quincy Newcomb. Come back pretty soon for Frontline Rewind for part two at FrontlineRecords.us. Well, this is Brian Healy. Adele Meisenheimer. And Engineer Scotty Z. May all your hopes and dreams come true. Grace and peace. Scotty, call the limo. Thank you.